Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is MPB News. Hi, this is Karen Brown. Thanks for checking out the Mississippi Edition podcast. If you like what you hear, click subscribe, hit like, or leave us a comment if your app has that feature. Then find other MPB podcasts by searching MPB Think Radio on your favorite podcasting platform. Thanks. Good morning. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, Mississippi's health care system reaches the brink as COVID cases and hospitalizations reach new highs in the state. Then a new report from the Trust for America's Health examines the impact of the pandemic on communities facing food insecurities. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hospital beds in Mississippi are filling up with coronavirus patients and emergency rooms are giving up space to assist with the high demand for advanced medical care. Yesterday was a new record day for COVID-19 cases in the state as the Department of Health reported over 1,200 new confirmed infections. Over the past eight days, COVID-related hospitalizations have continued to climb to a record 855. Dr. Andy Wilhelm is director of the Medical Intensive Care Unit at the University. University of Mississippi Medical Center. He tells MPB's Kobe Vance the novelty and severity of the disease presents a series of challenges. And this disease is exceedingly complex. Uh, one, it's a new disease, so we don't know everything about it. Uh, two, uh, what we do see is multi-organ failure, uh, which we see on a routine basis in non-COVID patients, but not to the level that we're seeing it in the COVID patients. You know, we're talking about stress. Um, what does that mean for the ICU? Um, how, what does that, how does that stress impact the, the day-to-day activities that you all have to accomplish? Uh, so we've got a lot more sick people uh, with an illness that is a lot more demanding because the people are uh, so sick, and uh, we have to see them all. Um, so it's more work uh, in, a, um, in a system that was designed for uh, a lesser amount of work than is required right now. And so what do you think, looking into the future, what do you think is going to happen as we see cases continue to rise? Do you think, um, for one, do you think the ICUs in Mississippi, and specifically your ICU, are going to be overwhelmed? And if so, what could happen? Uh, I really hope that we don't get to a point of uh, a situation like they had in New Orleans after Mardi Gras or something like New York where they were completely overwhelmed. Uh, we've been able to manage the amount of overwhelm thus far, uh, but we do have more ICU patients than we have ICU beds at this point. 
So, yes, we are overwhelmed, and yes, we anticipate becoming more overwhelmed. Uh, but we're hopeful that we will never get to a point uh, that New York or New Orleans uh, were in, you know, earlier in the spring. So what does that look like for a patient in the ICU? What, what kind of systems go into helping keep that person um, in, in stable condition? A lot of it's reactive uh, in keeping up with the changes uh, in the patient's physiology. Um, we think about life support. Life support is uh, historically thought of as uh, the ventilator or the breathing machine. Uh, when they start to go into respiratory failure, uh, we'll put them on the breathing machine, which is a plastic tube down into the lungs, and then we blow air into the lungs instead of the patient sucking the air in. Uh, what we're also seeing is kidney failure, so they're on dialysis. Uh, we're seeing heart failure, so they're on medicines to keep their heart uh, squeezing. Uh, we're seeing uh, blood pressure drops, so they're on medicine to keep their blood pressure uh, high enough to be compatible with life. Uh, we're seeing strokes. We're seeing uh, inflammation of the brain that can cause them to act funny in a delirious sort of way. Um, it's a multi-organ disease that requires multi-organ support, and I would say that is life support. And how long are people usually there? Uh, in the intensive care unit, it, anywhere, it ranges anywhere from two or three days to a month, maybe longer. Uh, some people, once they clear the virus, remain critically ill. Uh, they've sustained permanent lung damage or permanent organ failure uh, that will not recover. And so they're left on machines to keep them alive, uh, and their likelihood of coming off uh, is exceptionally low. Uh, so they remain in the intensive care unit because we can't provide those support services anywhere else, uh, but they're no longer infected with the virus. They're just left with uh, damage. Is there anything else that stands out to you that you want people in Mississippi to understand about the role ICUs play right now in the middle of the COVID pandemic? Uh, we don't know. We still don't know who gets sick from this virus. The, uh, the initial thought of this is predominantly a disease of the older population with chronic illnesses. What we observed in the ICU is uh, obesity and diabetes uh, take age off the table. Anyone who is overweight, anyone with diabetes, or anyone who has both is at risk for critical illness from COVID. Uh, so this is a disease of all age groups, uh, and we all need to be careful, uh, not just uh, the elderly uh, and chronically ill population that we initially thought. Dr. Andy Wilhelm is the director of the medical ICU at UMMC, the state's only tier one trauma facility. The high demand for beds to treat COVID patients is also straining the hospital's emergency capabilities. Dr. Riza Moriarty is vice chair of emergency medicine. She says the trend of rising cases means the threat is far from over. It means the surge is not over. It means, um, you know, we that there's really not an end in sight. This is the surge that we have been expecting since the middle of March. It didn't happen exactly when we thought it would, but um, here we are. And it means to me that unless we start doing some things like um, really social distancing and wearing masks and washing our hands, this can, can, will continue to get worse. And so recently, what has life looked like on the insides of the hospital? Um, how are patients being cared for? How are doctors handling this insane uh, increase of patient needs? Well, we are um, doing the best we can. We, in emergency medicine, 
we are accustomed to stress and um, accustomed to un the unpredictable nature of the emergency department, but this is unlike anything we've seen in decades. Uh, we have a lot of patients boarding in the emergency department, waiting on ICU beds, waiting on regular med surge beds because the hospital has no capacity. We have then patients in the waiting room, um, so there's a cascade effect uh, where we'll have a lot more patients in the waiting room because we have no room in the emergency department. That puts a lot of stress on the system. It creates some, uh, a situation where nurses, techs, doctors don't feel they can take a break. And so um, when it comes to the demand of care that COVID patients need, what, what, what impact is that having on the emergency aspect of uh, hospitals? Well, so COVID patients um, need to be isolated. We have to wear PPE to go in the room. Um, we need negative pressure rooms for them or rooms where the air can be sterilized. Um, so all of those are new stresses on our system that we haven't had before. We uh, have had to convert part of the emergency department to a dedicated COVID area with those special air filters. We have to don and doff PPE before we go into those rooms. All of that slows down patient care and makes it more difficult. When you see that numbers are increasing like this and we see the hospitalizations are going up every single day, what, what concern does that have to you for the state's, uh, for your hospital's uh, ability to care for patients? Well, we're already seeing um, limited capability of the major hospitals in Mississippi to treat, to take care of patients. Um, you know, our ICU is full. The ICUs of all of the major hospitals in the state are full. So we have smaller hospitals that are uh, having to turn out of state or, you know, having to send their patients great distances to find an ICU bed. Um, ultimately, if things don't change, you know, we may be in a situation like other, like Texas, Arizona, where we have to bring in um, you know, some other resources where we have to bring in other health care providers from outside the state um, and set up, you know, other types of hospitals to care for these patients. Dr. Risa Moriarty is vice chair of emergency medicine at UMMC. Mississippi has seen more than 11,000 new cases in the month of June. Stay up to date with the latest in coronavirus-related news by visiting mpbonline.org slash coronavirus. Coming up, a new report from the Trust for America's Health examines the impact of the pandemic on communities facing food insecurities. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. If you're a parent on the go, but still want to stay informed about your children's education, subscribe to Mississippi Education Connections podcast and listen on the go anytime, anywhere on your favorite podcast app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
School closures coupled with the economic pressures of the COVID-19 crisis are causing children to experience food insecurity at unprecedented rates. A new report released yesterday by Trust for America's Health examines policies and recommendations that are being implemented by local, state and federal officials, as well as school systems to protect against child hunger during the ongoing pandemic. Adam Lustig is with Trust for America's Health. He tells um, and shares more about the report with us. We looked at publicly available sources of data, um, both for um, the percentage of students enrolled in in free and reduced uh, breakfast and lunch programs, um, in addition to uh, the health impacts of these very important programs. Let's go straight to Mississippi. What are some of the key findings? Um, So for Mississippi, um, in our report, um, we highlight that 75% of children in Mississippi are enrolled in free or reduced uh, priced uh, breakfast and lunches. In the U.S., um, over 50% of children qualify for the program, and Mississippi actually has the highest percentage of any state of students who qualify for these programs. How have the schools or other organizations done in feeding kids during this pandemic when they're not in school? Schools have done an amazing job at adapting essentially overnight to school closures to ensure that students who rely on nutritious meals in schools can still access um, that food. So we've seen schools uh, setting up uh, meal pickup sites. Sometimes that's at a school. Sometimes it's at a different location. We've seen some some school districts um, utilize buses that go on a regular route um, to deliver meals at specific times. And in some rural areas, we actually identified some schools that are doing individual delivery by buses to students. Um, And I think this is all just in recognition of how important school breakfast and uh, and lunch is, um, not only in terms of the the cognitive and academic benefits of these programs, but also realizing that for many of the students who qualify for these programs, this is often the only source of nutritious meals that they have every day. What about the nutritious component of this? What is the importance that a child gets a breakfast and a lunch that is packed with nutrition? Um, So research has shown that uh, high-quality meals improve academic performance and uh, childhood cognition. Um, Additionally, there's been uh, research that was published that shows that Student participation in school breakfast programs reduces students' body mass indexes, or BMI, and may reduce weight gain. And these two things are critically important parts of obesity prevention programs overall. Which is also a a big concern in Mississippi. As children start to go back to schools, there are questions about whether they'll be able to eat in the cafeteria, how many will be in schools, how many will be doing distance learning, or a combination of the two How can schools best address that as kids come back? Well, I I think the first thing that um, we prioritize is ensuring safety. So safety for the students, safety for the families um, that they're returning to after school, and also safety for the school personnel, um, both teachers and other staff who are actually um, delivering uh, these meals to students. We've seen um, some school districts looking at actually um, having children uh, and students eat meals in their classrooms, so that way they're not in a large congregate setting. And then... um, 
Um, there's one federal program that we highlight in our report called the Pandemic EBT Program. And so this actually provides a financial benefit to families of up to $5.70 per child per school day um, that uh, essentially allows for families who are unable to access meals in schools um, to be able to utilize that benefit and purchase um meals and food from grocery stores where they would otherwise be provided by the schools themselves. For those children who won't be returning to the physical building, for whatever reason that might be, what do you recommend for their families at home to prepare nutritious meals for their kids? Um, and so in terms of uh, preparing nutritious meals, I think that the first thing that I would highlight is um, uh, being able to to utilize um, the benefits and programs that are available to them. Um, we are also advocating for expanding uh, benefits um, t- for families to be able to purchase fresh fruits and vegetables. Um, as we know, fresh fruits and vegetables are um, highly nutritious, and so we're really looking at all avenues to encourage families to um, utilize their foods and their diets on a regular basis. Adam, where can people access this report? Um, the report is available on uh, our organization's website. So uh, my organization is the Trust for America's Health, and our website is tfah.org. And um, on that website, we have a whole um, page dedicated to COVID-19 resources. Great. Adam Lustig is the manager at Trust for America's Health. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio. Don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And if your app lets you, leave a comment or review. We really do appreciate it. Remember, you can always get in touch with MPB News on Facebook and Twitter. And fresh episodes of the podcast are posted every weekday morning. I'm Karen Brown. Thanks for listening. This is Mississippi Edition from MPB Think Radio.